Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, as the investigation continues regarding the shooting death of a person authorities say first fired at a Georgia State trooper last week, the probe will not include the DeKalb County District Attorney's Office. Although there is no legal conflict with accepting this case upon completion of its investigation, I believe recusal is the best course of action related to this element of the joint operation. And that shooting took place at the site of a controversial Atlanta police and fire training center, which is actually located in south in a southern part of DeKalb County. I'll speak with Michael Moore, former U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia, to get his reaction to all of this. Also this hour from the political conservative voice representing LGBTQ Georgians, members of the George Lo- Georgia Log Cabin Republicans will talk about their priorities this legislative session. Important conversations just ahead. But first this housing and crime. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp says these two issues are a focus in his second term. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali says in the governor's State of the State address, Kemp also called on state and local leaders for solutions on these two issues. Governor Kemp says he's concerned that economic development in Georgia could be constrained by housing issues. Transformational projects, good paying jobs, and new investments are worth little if there aren't options for hardworking Georgians to live where they work. In his budget, the governor proposes $35 million for local agencies to prepare land for housing around economic development projects in rural Georgia. The governor is also looking to local governments for solutions on housing. Speaking after the governor's address, House Minority Whip Sam Park of Lawrenceville says Democrats are hoping for a wider debate on housing. Tenants' rights, eviction reform, homelessness. We have to talk about emergency housing, transitional housing, and work together to increase the stock of affordable housing throughout the state of of Georgia, not just in rural Georgia. During his address, Governor Kemp also talked about crime. We can and we must do something about the revolving door of criminal justice, and I look forward to working with this legislature to get it done. That could include bail bond reform. Park says he's concerned about where public safety legislation may be headed. We must be very cautious not to over-criminalize our communities. The Democratic Party supports and fosters and will do everything to ensure there's bipartisan support to support our law enforcement. But we must also ensure police accountability. During their press conference after the governor's address, Democrats talked about their legislative proposals, which include a $10,000 raise for state employees, including teachers. Governor Kemp has proposed a $2,000 increase in his 2024 budget. Raul Bally, WABE News, the state capital. And in other news, it's taken years, but finally... 
Thousands of qualified patients are one step closer to being able to purchase low THC oil in Georgia. The Georgia Access to Medical Cannabis Commission voted to approve guidelines on where dispensaries can be located and how the oil is packaged and other rules for how the products are to be sold. Commission officials must now inspect and sign off on proposed testing labs and those dispensaries. Patients have been waiting since 2015 when lawmakers legalized medical marijuana for seizures, cancer and other conditions. But it didn't create a system for producing and selling it. So now they have a system in place. In an effort to support increasing traffic at the Port of Savannah, authorities are set to spend millions to lift a major bridge in the city that will allow that will allow bigger ships to dock. Emily Jones reports that comes as the port is having a record year. Georgia's Department of Transportation is set to hire a contractor to increase the height of the Eugene Talmadge Memorial Bridge, named after the former Georgia governor who supported segregation and white supremacy. A program manager for the project says the cost could hit $175 million, as the effort will also replace all the cables on the suspension bridge that spans the Savannah River between Georgia and South Carolina. It comes as the port hit a record for containers last year and as the Port Authority is renovating to accommodate bigger ships on its end and devoting more space to container cargo. Emily Jones, WABE News, Savannah. Georgia's public colleges and universities are funded by formula developed in 1984. The problem, University System Chancellor Sonny Perdue says students now rely on services that weren't widely available almost 40 years ago. Technology advances Internet speed, Wi-Fi, how about mental health issues? The time we're spending on counselors and those kind of things. These are the things that are eating into the operational education uh, budgets of our institutions. Purdue spoke to Georgia's House Higher Education Committee yesterday. Like most states, Georgia has decreased spending for public colleges over the years. Twenty years ago, the state funded 75 percent of college costs. Now it funds 57 percent. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100 mile coast. A landscape unlike any other, Georgia's coast is home to vital communities and people from all walks of life fighting to protect it. Help keep Georgia's coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. Support for WABE comes from the Singleton Law Firm. 30 years of representing people and their families who have suffered serious personal injury or death. Dedicated to safeguarding clients' legal rights. Information found at AtlantaInjuryCouncil.com. And from Atlanta History Center. Hosting a Livingston Lecture on January 31st with Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Ed Larson discussing his new book, American Inheritance. Tickets at AtlantaHistoryCenter.com. Hey y'all, I'm Alfonso Whitfield. And I'm Brianna Carr. We're pleased to present Atlanta on Film, the podcast. It's a companion to WABE's new TV show featuring films and filmmakers focused on Atlanta. 
Each Monday, you'll hear more from the feature creators on what drives their projects and how Atlanta plays a part. This season features films from Out on Film, Atlanta's LGBTQ Film Festival, and Morehouse Human Rights Film Festival. Check it out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. When you return something, it doesn't just go right back on the shelf, you know? It's not one size fits all for every product. Everything you touch has a different story. It's almost like a 31 flavors that returns. I'm Kai Rizdal, Retail Return Remix. Next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6.30 on 90.1 WABE. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. During yesterday's program, I spoke with Georgia Equality Executive Director Jeff Graham about this year's legislative session. And Graham told me that he wishes Georgia had a statewide civil rights related protection statute. Our number one goal is to pass a statewide non-discrimination or civil rights bill because Mm -hmm. Georgia is one of only three states Mm -hmm. that does not have one on the book that protects any community whatsoever. And the pushback has always been, well, there are federal protections. And there are federal protections, Mm -hmm. yes. But there are gaps when it comes to small businesses. Mm -hmm. There are gaps in the federal law when it comes to women, cisgender women. Uh, There are gaps in the law, frankly, when it comes to protecting people of faith. Uh, And so instead of this being a divisive uh, uh, debate over whose rights are more important than someone else's, if we would do what 27 other states have done Mm -hmm. and pass this, but then do what 28 other states have done and include sexual orientation and gender identity along with the other protected categories, that then gives an even playing field that when there is conflict, the courts step in and resolve that. That's how our system of government is supposed to work. Graham also pointed out what he calls a positive move by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in putting more funds towards HIV prevention medication. Well, today we're joined by the Georgia Log Cabin Republicans. It's a statewide organization representing LGBTQ conservatives. So what are they advocating for this legislative session? Well, let's welcome Sergio Mendez, the president of Georgia Log Cabin Republicans, and the organization's vice president, Coleman Williamson. Got that out. Thank you both for taking the time. Thank you. So, Joe, I'll start with you. I'm going to ask the same question that I started with Jeff Graham yesterday. When you assess how far this nation has come regarding the LGBTQ laws, policies, rights, I mean, obviously it's not where it was in the 60s and 50s and 40s, but how do you assess how far this nation has come and then what issues are still of concerning to you personally? I think we've uh, we've come, you know, quite a long way from when we were, you know, even a few years ago. Um, current you know, polls show that by far most Americans are, you know, okay, um, especially with uh, gays and lesbians, um, including in our, our party who uh, have, uh, you know, kind of generally been a bit more hesitant hesitant to, um, uh, I guess, welcome us into the party. But we've uh, definitely made um, a, lot, a lot of headway. Um, there's still some improvements, uh, so some things that we're working at, but I'm proud of where we are. Um, I feel like we have not just push people to accept us um, because of, you know, what pol- whatever political um, points it can score, but mm-hmm. actually changing minds and hearts. Um, and, we, I mean, we still got a little bit 
of a ways to go, but um, definitely getting there. What's of top of mind for you as it relates to your quality of life? Uh, I I personally kind of lead a um, a good life. I, I've never encountered um, any issues as to uh, my homosexuality. Um, it, and that's not to say that you know there are people out there that are not mm-hmm. um, encountering issues, but I feel by far we are kind of again, like, like I just said, uh, uh, at a way better situation um, than where we have been or anyone really anywhere in the world is, um, maybe a few exceptions, mm-hmm. but um, I'm, I I don't feel personally um, too many barriers uh, for me to live uh, comfortably. Hmm. What about you, Coleman? How far has this nation come? Well, I think we've come a great, Great distance so, since, if you consider the 1950s, you know, I oh, mean, yeah. on a lot of things, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a whole range of civil rights issues. So, but regarding um, the uh, gay marriage, now we passed last year at the federal level the Respect for Marriage Act, mm-hmm. which uh, the log cabin Republicans were major uh in terms of scoring the uh necessary votes to to pass it and um you know led by led by house or log cabin uh endorsed candidates Mm -hmm. so um that's a major accomplishment that came around christmas time i think that was a good Christmas gift to all LGBT Americans. I want to back up for a second because, uh, Sergio, you said that in terms of, you know, polls and you felt that the party, the Republican Party, was a bit more accepting it. There was no issues. Now, I know someone listening was saying, wait, well, hold up, you know, but do you, are you often having to defend the Republican Party and their policies and ideologies as a gay man who is aligned with the party? I, I find myself having to defend um, a not because of our homosexuality, but because of this kind of umbrella that they um, try to put us in, right? They um, being? I just, the power brokers. Um, you know, okay. there, there, there's points to be scored. Um, I mean, it, it's clever, right? If you're able to put a whole, I mean, you look at our acronym nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. And our flag, I, I've lost track of how many additional colors and letters they've added to that. Um, and, and it kind of it makes sense if you're a power broker to have an army um mm-hmm. you know if, if you offend somebody or you need to push something you know in a very narrow aspect you can you know call upon the whole army to come and try to score that you know narrow victory um and so you kind of see it in a kind of a lot of the issues that are kind of emerging um you know across the country mm-hmm. um you know parental rights uh is, is kind of at the forefront nowadays and um my kind of my, I guess, defense uh, amongst um, my conservative, you know, family friends um, has been, you know, what, what differentiates me um, from those kind of policies mm-hmm. that are being pushed. You feel like, and because listen, I, I know black folks will tell you and other ethnic groups and other groups will say, listen, both parties and other parties come hollering at us when it's election time. Any other time, we have a hard time trying to, you know, get them to understand specific policies and issues to a community. And then, you know, there's always that are the Democrats, they always rely on black women. But then black men have said, you know, where have y'all been for those policies that have disproportionately affected us? So that's why I was asking that. Coleman, what about you? Do you feel like, you know, 
with the LGBT community, those that you represent, the conservative voice, sure, that lens that you having to defend that with the defending. Um, it's I'm glad you asked that because this past uh, year uh, in October, uh, this was the first our re reentry at the Atlanta Pride Festival, which is where we saw you know nothing. I was thankful grateful for no but they let y'all in last time come on now no 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 (laughs) last well the last two years have been pandemic and you know everything like that but um we had great conversations though and very very honest and um non-confrontational conversations with members of the lgbt uh well at at large you know that are not you know necessarily identified as Republicans or conservative. What questions do you often get then from folks who say, you know what, I, I, I want to know more about you all as a political affiliation. You right. Know, what, what is your ideology here? What, do you, what are those principles that you stand on? And what do you tell them? Well, we I tell them that we're actually the most diverse political group in Georgia. And I say that because we have a range of, you know, political ideology from very centrist Mm -hmm. to very conservative, you know, very, you know, and fans of certain politicians over the other and that kind of thing. And in terms of, you know, racial or religious, too, Mm -hmm. we are very diverse as well. And I'm very proud of that uh, to to have led the group into that kind of that grounding of sort. I want to play a clip from yesterday's conversation with Georgia Equality's Jeff Graham because he and he ta- you might have heard it. We can play it again if you didn't get it, but he talked about through their lens they would want to have a statewide some type of statewide protections statute. I can play it again for you if you'd like to listen to it. Sure. All right. Uh, the last couple of years, I think that they've really focused on uh, some more. It's the cut. Yeah, the first cut. <laughs> we'll work. We'll work it out. Our number one goal is to pass a statewide non-discrimination or civil rights bill because Mm -hmm. Georgia is one of only three states Mm -hmm. that does not have one on the book that protects any community whatsoever. And the pushback has always been, well, there are federal protections. And there are federal protections, Mm -hmm. yes. But there are gaps when it comes to small businesses. Mm -hmm. There are gaps in the federal law when it comes to women, cisgender women. Uh, there are gaps in the law, frankly, when it comes to protecting people of faith. Uh, and so instead of this being a divisive uh, uh, debate over whose rights are more important than someone else's, if we would do what 27 other states have done mm-hmm. and pass this, but then do what 28 other states have done and include sexual orientation and gender identity along with the other protected categories, that then gives an even playing field that when there is conflict, the courts step in and resolve that. That's how our system of government is supposed to work. So, Sergio, let me ask you, Jeff Graham, the organization, they see that that is still something that Georgia needs on the books here. What do you your reaction? Yes. Yeah, so uh, as someone who's uh, on the right, um, you know, we, we, we believe in, in equality. Um, and so having, you know, either laws or, or, or um, you know, just kind of rules or whatever that, is, that affects um, Americans where it, it um, you know, uh, I guess discriminates or, or favors one 
person over the other based on whatever their you mm-hmm. know makeup um, is. Uh, we are against. You know, we should all be treated fairly. There shouldn't be. Would you support extra... a statewide, a, a statewide uh, uh, something that's on the books, uh, some protections? Yes. So, so there there are gaps to be filled. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, like I said, the, the um, s- discrimination going on. We are more than happy to work with Georgia Equality and and see you know what it is, what those issues might be, what those gaps might be, and and you know what the possible solutions could be. You see, I I I'm not necessarily opposed to a statewide law mm-hmm. um, on non-discrimination. I I really am thankful that the Bostick uh, v. Clayton County decision came out of Georgia because mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, protects nationwide. Uh, but, you know, it, it was, you know, the case itself was uh, from here, you know, from a Democrat mm-hmm. county, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was um, – an interesting note, but I, I'm, I would, I am interested in joining the uh, 28 other states that mm-hmm. protect uh, sexual orientation or gender identity statutorily and putting it in code. So, how do you all describe what are those core principles? I mean, you talked about, you know, we, you, everyone agrees, okay, equality, but are there some specific core principles, Georgia law, cavern, you know, Republicans here in this state that you all have been pushing is there some other legisla- legislation that you all would like to see uh, uh as far as law uh lgbt goes mm-hmm. um i'm i'm perfectly happy the way we are now um and i can't see other than i'm i'm glad i tuned in yesterday because i wasn't really aware of the non-discrimination mm-hmm. uh law being and but we have Republicans to thank um, for the hate crimes legislation that happened a couple of years ago, and what, what, um, what, just thanking them. Not it was a well. I mean, it was a collective effort, but I mean they control. Come on, the, call they, me, be they, fair. They control the uh, state legislature and the governorship. Back then, that was done under Nathan Deal, I believe. But you know, um, I will say you know, but that was a, a, a type of thing that you know our detractors would would take away from us mm-hmm. but yet we're leading on civil rights too so for those statutes measures that and they're and this listen the aclu you all can look it up don't send me an email to mom making something up <laughs> the aclu has been tracking other state legislatures that have introduced what many view as anti-discriminatory particularly as it relates to, to transgender individuals how do you all as as representatives of the Republican Party, which most majority, if not all of these bills, those type of bills that are targeted, they're labeled that, come from the Republican Party. So what conversations are you having with within your your group? Because I'm, I'm a, I don't shouldn't assume you, you are opposed to some of them or you do you support them? For example, the sports as it relates to girls, you know, that whole issue, you know, what I'm talking about. What was your stance on that? Did you all come out against that? So we um, we actually have transgender individuals in our group. Um, so I'm not just, uh, you know, flying by the seat of my pants here. Um, this is kind of, you know, it, it's kind of at the forefront of um, uh, talking points now. Um, and we kind of all agree that, you know, you... you you respect each other, right? Regardless of how you live your life, um, that's kind of what 
you know, liberty is, is, you know, let people live, but at the same time you respect um, others. So one right doesn't, you know, um, you know, overcome another. Like we, we all have, um, you know, our, our, our liberties. Um, and I think the, the issue here uh, is, you know, kind of the unfairness that comes around with, um, you know, a very muscular um, transgender woman competing against, um, you know, naturally or cisgender women. But there's um, been no evidence that suggests there has been a, that it, it leads to this overwhelmingly I don't know. No. I mean, I see. You got something you can you can point to it. I, I, I see. I'm not talking about what you might have saw at, at a park. I'm talking about. I understand, but I think just based on uh, nature being the guide, you know, I I I'm a big supporter of Title IX and women's you know equal rights, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's something that we can't forget, you know, as as we also are redefining a lot of language Mm -hmm. and it's it's very it's it's very important to always keep um keep reality you know as objective as possible which i think is at the key to all of this and you have someone like caitlin jenner who supports you know well and listen caitlin jenner ain't won nobody's olympics in almost 40 some years so i don't know if that's a good example but what i'm saying you have this conversation with transgender folks in your in your in your organization what is that like what are you hearing well i from the transgender people that i know um who are conservative libertarian and otherwise you know um that uh women's sport that they are supporting biological women in women's sports only and not uh, including uh transgender women but we're talking about middle school well there's nothing there's there's no oh even more so in terms of uh um uh, elementary and secondary education uh, we, there, there's a big support from the gay community and the transgender community who uh, look at Florida's law, the so-called "Don't Say Gay" legislation that they they just don't want uh, the children's innocence to be lost. What do you mean? I'm, I'm a little lost. In terms you? of you know broaching subjects that they can't possibly understand. For instance, you wouldn't teach calculus to a kindergartner. I mean. It's the same kind of it's the same kind of thing. So you, so um, I want to make sure I'm understanding you because yeah. I feel like it, there's a there's a whole lot coming out. So, for example, you're saying you don't want to introduce LGBTQ folks and how they identify to kindergartners or something like this. Well, I, not I'm trying to get a, themselves, yeah. not not, but in terms of talking about it or um, lecturing on. LGBT but they don't do that, as a subject. But they don't do that in, in well, elementary, then, do they? There has been, um, you know, I guess people have brought up, parents have brought up um, the, the issue where, you know, their, their kid comes home and they've, you know, the, the teachers have talked about these issues with them. Um, and, you know, most, most parents um, want their kids to go to school, learn what schools are meant to teach, um, and this is not to say if someone's, you know, encountering, um, you know, issues with their personal lives and, you know, find their, you know, um, the teachers as mm-hmm. a, 
you know, someone to talk to, um, I think that's fair. But when the teacher is actually at the lead of, you know, I, I don't I don't even remember my any of my teachers first names, let alone, you know, who were they, you know, who they engaged, you know, um, romantically with. So um, it, it is a bit of an unusual thing we're at right now where there are teachers and and i don't know to what extent i see them on because i kind of feel like videos, i kind of feel like there's a there's a people are creating a problem when there really isn't a problem that's just me and my reporting as a journalist on this but it also leads me to this because when we talk about crt right. and folks start passing legislatures including georgia start passing these although they didn't use crt in the bill but they use you know divisive measures or, or divisive concepts how do y'all feel about that I do you know what CRT is? I the critical race theory, and um, you know, I I think that you see, I've seen uh, undercover journalism from Project Veritas that would suggest that in Georgia, Fulton County, and Cobb County, they um, will mask in a sense. Uh, they wouldn't call it CRT, but they would basically put the curriculum in there. Like and what, for example? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I think that they put it in as you don't think that the kind of like yeah. African American studies or gender studies for that matter. You don't think there should be African American studies? Well, I think no, 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 no. no. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't I'm believe gonna... in terms of making uh, based on the kind of critical race theory it, that you must be anti-racist to prove yourself like as a moral person. I don't think I that that's disagree. what that, that, I don't think that's a well, core concept. Of I don't CRT. know. I, that's how I understand it. And who told you that Coleman? Somebody within your group. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I listen to podcasts and you know, so, um, are they new? Are they credible news outlets? Well, credible, cre- maybe not as credible as WABE. <laughs> Absolutely, but, you know. So, my, <laughs> come I on, mean, Sergio. My, my experience, right? So I'm I'm Hispanic of immigrant parents. Um, you know, and growing up in California, I, I didn't have to. It wasn't until my college years where I guess my version of CRT really came in. But it was never. I mean, the difference was once I got to college, it's when my professors were telling me that, you know, I was a victim because of, you know, the color of my skin and that I should be in favor of quota systems and all this. And I come from really quick from extreme poverty. And um, I I never felt as a victim any time in my upbringing. So, okay, I'll focus here because it all goes back to then again, how you all speak to your base, your supporters, because this is, there's confliction here. Oh, sure. With these measures that are mostly, that I could be wrong, I'm sure it's 99.9 if 100% brought by Republican policymakers, lawmakers, and they, from a lot of people, target discriminatory toward not just LGBTQ folks, black folks, Hispanic folks, Poor, poor folks. I mean, and so, again, how do you all reconcile that? Because you are members of the LGBT community and as a person, you, know, you identify as a person of color, correct? Sorry, yes, Sergio? I suppose, yeah. So th- and that's really what the core of this is about, too, because if Jeff's talking about we should all work together and you don't have to believe the same thing. Yeah. But how do you reconcile that within that party? Because I, it's. 
And I, I think I'm, I, I know the kind of being um, gay and Republican, you know, those kind of two labels aren't um, usually put together. Um, but um, I feel I'm part of this kind of organization and, and you know, the party at large because we need a, um, you know, we're also here to keep the party at check, mm-hmm. right, from, you know, evolving into niche politics, which were how we ended up with, you know, um, uh, you know, being anti-gay. And this wasn't just on the Republican side, you know, the left was doing it too until, um, you know, fairly recently. So you ch- in other words, you check them. You, you say, if I need to check folks within the Republican Party about something that affects uh, the base of our, our, our group, Definitely. LGBTQ folks, you do it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm glad we're, we can have that, you know, kind of those conversations yeah. within our party, like we did with, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy coming into office. There was definitely a back and forth. It wasn't just a stamp of approval by 100% of the uh, right. party. Coleman, you said you feel like you can you can pick up the phone and, and call well, Mitch we, McConnell, somebody say, look, let me, the, let me holler at you. Mitch for, McConnell. Well, but, somebody. Uh, I could, Lindsey Graham, I, anybody? We have, we have Governor Kemp, huge, anybody? We, oh, <laughs> Governor Kemp. We love Governor Kemp. We endorsed him enthusiastically, including uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who uh, historic uh, came out uh, support of gay marriage as, a, as changing in the, the code of the uh, Georgia law. So that was that was huge. That was a major breakthrough. What are you all focusing on this legislative session, if there is anything? You said, you told me not a, a while ago, you feel like everything's great for how you or you identified. So is there anything that you want lawmakers as it relates to the quality of life for LGBTQ Georgians? I... Um, I Going back, going back to um, yesterday's um, your uh, interview yesterday, um, I, w- I would like to hear about any potential gaps that do exist, right? That where people can be discriminated against because of you know their you know gender identity or, mm-hmm. or um, orientation. Um, you know, I don't believe someone should you know f- be fired or, or not get promoted mm-hmm. or what have you because you know because of that. But I, I'm definitely willing to hear. Can you put party philosophy? Can you make sure that doesn't supersede quality of life for folks if you want to work together with state lawmakers? Is that something that you feel like you all can do? I believe liberty is the key to quality of life at the core of it. And that means freedom to live how you choose and how as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's the key to my political philosophy and to most um, Republicans that I know, um, and otherwise people who don't identify as Republican but conservative, and anything uh, getting the government out of the way to do that is important. Now, as far as discrimination goes, mm-hmm. in terms of employment and um, you know promotion, you know anything like that, that's already protected. Mm-hmm. under what our code of laws and like uh, Jeff said you know it, it will be resolved in a court uh, but it does cl- help clarify if the uh, Georgia legislature does pass uh, enumerated legislation so you're going to be keeping a watchful eye I always keep a watchful eye <laughs> just checking I'm not going to ask you this who who is handling your social media because Y'all be trolling WABE, and I don't appreciate that. Well, that was, um, <laughs> you know, our, our our immediate, you know, my former uh, president and current uh, national board member, you know, is uh, 
you know, he it's not just W-A-B-E. It's, you know, fa- well, I'm speaking Bonnie, on behalf Bonnie of Willis and... Uh, Here's the thing. And a lot of other people. But, I'm all you know. about, listen, I'm all about fairness, you yes. know. Just be fair in what you what you post. Oh, you know? okay. I agree well, with you. And as, Sergio will tell as you. As a president, I, I became the president this month. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything was untoward, um, apologies. But, you know, we're definitely being more meaningful as to how we use our social media. Take back my shirts from y'all. <laughs> Sergio Mendez, president of the Georgia Law Cabinet Republicans and Coleman Williamson, vice president of the organization. Thank you both for coming and taking time. I appreciate it. Thank you. You need Thank a social you. media person because I know a whole bunch of folks. No, we, we have uh, somebody on board that does it. All right. I'm, I'm watching y'all. All right. Support for WABE comes from the ACLU of Georgia, defending and protecting the civil liberties of all Georgians for 60 years. Learn more about the ACLU of Georgia and how to support it through membership or donations at ACLUGA.org. And from the National Center for Civil and Human Rights in downtown Atlanta, celebrating Black History Month with inspiring events throughout February. Presented by PNC, civilandhumanrights.org backslash BHM. Support for WABE comes from AG Rhodes, one of Atlanta's oldest nonprofits and most trusted leaders in senior care. Our compassionate and devoted caregivers deliver person-directed care, focusing on the unique needs and preferences of each resident. Learn more at agroads.org. And from Aurora Theater, presenting Kim's Convenience, the story of a Korean family who immigrates to Toronto, which inspired hit series on Netflix. Actor James Yee from the TV series stars as Mr. Kim through February 19th, auroratheater.com. On the next Fresh Air, what January 6th committee investigators learned about the role of social media in the assault on the Capitol that never made it into the committee's final report. We'll speak with Washington Post reporter Drew Harwell, part of a team that reported on a draft memo which details how the tech platforms failed to curb extremist content. Join us this afternoon at 2 on 90.1 WABE. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. DeKalb County District Attorney Sherry Boston says it is in the best interest her office not be involved in the investigative portion of this officer-involved shooting that took place a week ago. Now, it took place at the proposed site for Atlanta's $90 million police and fire training facility. Authorities allege 26-year-old activist Manuel Tehran shot and injured a state trooper and was then killed when shots were fired back. After careful consideration, I have decided to voluntarily recuse the office of the DeKalb County District Attorney from the review of the investigative file and potential prosecution of the officer-involved shooting involved in this case. Although there is no legal conflict with accepting this case upon completion of its investigation, I believe recusal is the best course of action related to this element of the joint operation. 
Now, D.A. Boston is also asking for an independent prosecutor to investigate the shooting. Also this week, we heard from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis because she was in court. In this case, the state's understands the media's inquiry and the world's interest. But we have to be mindful of protecting future defendants' rights. And we think for future defendants to be treated fairly, it's not appropriate at this time to have this report released. Now, during that hearing, Fonnie Willis argued against making public the report of the special grand jury into possible election interference by former President Donald Trump and allies. And she also indicated her decision on whether to issue indictments could be imminent. So let's talk about these two developments with attorney Michael J. Moore. He's a former U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia. A note, he is not connected to either of these investigations. So y'all can stop emailing me asking what he knows off the record because he don't know. Uh, welcome back, sir. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you, Rose. Thank you. Let's begin with DeKalb uh, County District Attorney Sherry Boston and her decision to excuse herself from the case. Your reaction overall? Uh, well, again, I'm glad to be with you. I, I, it's probably a smart move on her part to recuse. I mean, there's no no harm in it. The, the goal is that you want to do things as a prosecutor to give the public confidence in the decisions that you make. And if she felt like there was any possibility, while it may not be justified or required under the law, but if there's any possibility that somebody might look at it and say, well, her office was involved in a task force, some of these officers are in the task force, mm -hmm. you know, that that could be used in some way to undermine a decision, then I think it was the right move. And, and again, there's nothing particularly uh, unique or it's certainly nothing mm -hmm. nefarious in it. I want to play a little bit more from that press conference yesterday because here DA Boston goes further into that decision. My decision is based upon several factors, including our ongoing involvement in the multi-jurisdictional task force charged with holding those responsible who commit crimes and ensure a safe environment in the process. The overreaching reasoning for my recusal is that it is simply the right thing to do. It avoids the appearance of any impropriety and is consistent with the mission of my office and our efforts to instill community trust and confidence in our criminal justice system. As such, we have formally notified the Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia of our voluntary recusal in this matter and have requested the appointment of an independent prosecution agency. And I want to ask you this for our listeners who may not be familiar. Well, and I don't know the answer to this, so I'm speaking for myself, too. Sure. With this request, is it a far-gone conclusion that it will be approved? Uh, <clears throat> I would say, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion. I don't mm -hmm. think she would have done it without having made the call anyway. You know, she, she's a well-respected prosecutor and, and experienced, and so she didn't do anything you know, off the cuff. Uh, and uh, again, the prosecuting attorney's counsel is really there for these kinds of situations when mm -hmm. a prosecutor feels like he or she may have some conflict and, and they give advice, they have trainings, they do those things where they act as a real resource for uh, state prosecutors. And um, and I expect it will be a, a pretty easy decision on their part to find somebody uh, to review, um, uh, review the, the case. Would that be someone from a different, obviously a different county, obviously here in Georgia, and does that ultimate decision come down to the council or does the attorney general have to step in here? Because we've seen some instances where Attorney General Carr has, you know, appointed some folks. How does all this work? Well, I think that the the, the prosecuting attorney's council will appoint somebody to step in and sort of act in her stead 
here. A um, little different scenario than before uh, where you had Chris Carr's office uh, involved in the case down in, mm -hmm. in Brunswick. So here, uh, I expect that the, 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 the pack, as we call them, um, has uh, already begun the search to find somebody mm -hmm. uh, who, who, who has both the time and the resources to, to, to give this case the attention that it deserves. So, you know, you, you want to bring in somebody with some experience in, in these kinds of cases uh, to look at it. And so this other entity comes in, the other individual comes in, leads the investigation. And depending right. on what that outcome is, if that outcome is that they recommend further charges. And again, we're just talking about further charges against, let's say just scenario here for the trooper. Uh, then DA Boston's office is still out of it. Or could she say, well, okay, now this, cause this happened in DeKalb County. Right. Yeah. She'll, she would stay out of it. There's a process by which the special, uh, appoint, specially appointed prosecutor or, uh, would, would essentially be, uh, listed as a prosecutor for that jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, he or she's going to be already be practicing in the state of Georgia. So being a lawyer here is not, a, not that big a deal, mm -hmm. but they would be appointed as a special prosecutor, special district attorney, special assistant district attorney as such in the, in DeKalb County and be able to move the case forward. You know, that, and, and again, but that's, that's if the case mm -hmm. stays in DeKalb County, if the, if there is a case and uh, if the prosecutor that looks at it, thinks that it, that, that the, the charges should be sought. She'd, that they would still have to go through the indictment process, the regular mm -hmm. criminal process, um, but they would they would oversee. I, 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 I'm confident that they would not try to, uh, the PAC would not try to put somebody else in after after this decision had been made. And we talked about this the last time you were on the program, and the calls for obviously separate entity or even the Department of Justice to lead the investigation, the probe into these type of, of, of shootings where obviously we're involved now someone who lost their life. Um, it's just a lot here. you got the GBI and then you've got the County and then there's a state trooper involved. And this is all of these different law enforcement agencies that were working together. So right. that kind of, that kind of comp complicates things as well. How do you see this? You see why people have problems with this attorney more? Yeah. You know, one thing people may not realize is that in a lot of major law enforcement initiatives and actions, it is done by a task force. Uh, it may not necessarily always be a formal task force, but it may be a cooperation of other agencies within that jurisdiction. So, of course, the state patrol has statewide jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. County sheriffs have statewide jurisdiction. City police have limited jurisdiction. But the, but you bring people in to, to assist in, in those needs. And you know, finding then an independent uh, party to review a case like that or to review an incident like we are talking about uh, can sometimes be more difficult. Mm -hmm. the, the goal of that process at the end of the day is for the public to have confidence in the impartiality of the process. And uh, I, I, I don't want us to get to a day where we take law enforcement professionals and take their judgments and opinions and reviews and analysis and cast them to the side simply because they wear a badge. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the appropriate thing. But I, I do think there is a way to, um, uh, and, and again, it may be having a, a, a citizen, uh, um, you know, a layperson attached at sometimes into the review process. You always have the review if the case were to go forward of a grand jury, because mm -hmm. they're just citizens, right? They're not, they are not law enforcement people. So you always have the sort of this buffer as well. Um, but they're, they're, I, I have nothing to su suspect uh, it, it, that I've seen in this case mm -hmm. that makes me feel like that there would be uh, any reason for there not to be just sort of complete transparency in it. And then 
uh, a decision could be made. Well, you say that, and you've been on that sure. side, but you can understand, obviously, from the community and from the public, particularly as it relates to these type of shooting shootings where someone loses their life, particularly if it's law in law enforcement, and you think about DeKalb County and and and, and Matthew Zadok Williams, that whole situation, you think about Rayshard Brooks. And so, and I've had folks from, you know, from your space, uh, attorneys, legal analysts say, you know what, they need to be decided, take it to a grand jury. Sure. Because so, some of them don't even make either. it to there. Yeah, well, some of them don't. I mean, there's sometimes a decision made not to proceed any further. Um, and, you know, some of this is the um, it's why we have elections and why choosing your district attorney matters and those kinds of things, because you get somebody who speaks for the community you feel like, and, and, and that's, that's important. So um, I, I, I guess I want to sort of be cautious that we don't jump to when there's a police shooting, suddenly there's something nefarious going on. Sure. I'm not saying that they're not mm -hmm. occurrences when things uh, should not, you know, that there've been bad shootings. I, I totally get that. At the same time, there is no justification when you have a police shooting and and uh, that, that suddenly you have, you know, out of town folks or whatever it is causing violence, doing destruction, doing things like that. And they've turned something that was tragic that we're still looking at into something much more tragic. And so it's a um, I just want us to be cautious that we don't automatically try to uh, tarnish every uh, police officer. Um, because there's been an officer-involved shooting. They, they do a dangerous job. The majority of them, and I've told you this on your other program, are very mm -hmm. good folks. The majority of them, we, we, we have some who are not. Folks just want a fair process. I think everyone sure. involved will say that. Let's move over to Fonnie Willis, who's been busy <laughs> since she's been, in, been elected, yes. um, you know, and arguing against making that report public. Now, I'm, I'm asking you to take, I'm asking you to take off the... <laughs> the prosecutor's hat. The or? prosecutor's hat. <laughs> Can you take it off for a moment? It's all. It's I want you to put on your journalist hat. Okay. All right. So, and look, there, 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 there are two sides here. So you heard what Fonnie Willis had to say in terms of the necessity to keep this report sealed for now. What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword for her. Uh, and I think on the one hand that, um, it's an inordinate amount of pressure to release the report, and then she's got to make a decision. Does she follow exactly what the special grand jury said, or else she faces large public criticism? On the other hand, it's very good to have it released because it sort of justifies the time and treasure that's been spent on this investigation when the money might have been spent somewhere else, especially mm -hmm. as we talk about crime spikes and that type of thing in this in in her jurisdiction. So, you know, there, there's a reason. Now, do I think that the report should be released? I think it's likely that parts of the report will be released. But I also think that there's, in, from a journalist side or prosecutor side or a possible defendant side, whatever, there's value in not releasing secret grand jury, uh, in, in a secret grand jury investigation if somebody's not going to be charged. And that mm -hmm. is because you don't tarnish them and sort of paint them with a criminal defendant brush if in fact they're not charged because that, you don't escape that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the purpose of having a secret grand jury proceeding. So, um, I, I get the media's interest in wanting to have it out there, and I think that's uh, a decision McBurney is going to have to decide. But our state has a Georgia Open Records Act, which oftentimes, as you know, the, the media does not get access to the records because prosecutors and 
uh, county clerk's Man, office. Let me tell you something. Ongoing investigation. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Michael. Let me tell you something. I'm calling you Eminem. Uh, <laughs> when I was covering, you know, some death penalty cases, and mm-hmm. and full disclosure, and I was putting, and, and our beloved Paige Pate was helping us with this. I was putting in open records requests yeah. for the Department of Corrections, and you get mm-hmm. stuff that was, you know, redacted, and and then or you get, well, it's going to cost you thirty cents a page, and. <laughs> you know or you know who are you and it's like so i i get it i I understand it but does this also set a precedent if it is released it does and it may be a dangerous precedent frankly i mean uh and and that is because you would have everybody who is under an investigation now asking that investigative files investigative notes be released And, and if i was in the case right now that's going on in fulton county the Rico case uh, the, involving the, the musician, I, I would be probably filing a motion tomorrow mm-hmm. asking that all the grand jury and investigative files be turned over. And I'd say, you know, judge, if you're going to do it in one case, you got to do it in, in all those cases. And, and I think that's a problem um, because sometimes you want to be able to bring witnesses into a grand jury. You want to be able to say, look, you'll, they'll be able to hear from you. You know, your safety is protected or whatever the, the case is. And you don't necessarily need that file open in the criminal trial. It's open. I mean, you know, you have discovery. You, mm-hmm. if, if somebody's going to testify, the Constitution says everybody has a right to uh, confront their accusers and to confront witnesses. And so, you know, that's a different arena. Mm-hmm. But in the grand jury process and in an investigative process, I can see a, a, a good uh, a reason to keep it safe. And, and I do want to say I, I miss Paige. Um, Who are you uh, telling? He's a, Who are you he's telling? A, he's, a good, he's a good guy. So if you were Judge McBurney, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're not. He listens to this program, by the way. Um <laughs> What would be a deciding factor for you? What would sway you one way or the other? What's that yeah. one evidence, that one argument? Because I listened to this, and you know, it was, a lot of folks had lots, lots of stuff to say. So, mm-hmm. but if you're McBurney and you, was there something that you would want to hear that would mm, be that deciding? Yeah, I think I, did, I don't. I thought it was interesting that the, the, the DA came in person and made some statements without giving a written response or a written motion, and and I think that was done so that she could have some direct communication with the court basically say, give me a little time. I'm fixing to move forward. And I, if I was him, that's what I've heard. I think he's done a good job by and large um, on this, overseeing this. Uh, he's kept things moving. He's made decisions this, and had to interface with state courts in the country as well as some federal courts. He's had some contentious witness issues, but he, I, I think he's done a good job. And I also think giving people a chance to have that hearing about releasing the report was the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. and I put it, I put a lot of stuff of emphasis on the fact that she came and made a statement mm-hmm. saying things are imminent. I'm trying to protect rights. You know, basically hear me judge, have a little confidence in yeah. the, the yeah. prosecution branch here. We're going to, we're fixed to move forward. Wow. I love the fact that you say fixing. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Atlanta. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, right. <laughs> my, my teachers might be ashamed of me. That's okay. My mentor, Dennis O'Hara says fixing. I love it. Attorney Michael J. Moore, former U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Georgia. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Always good to be with you. Thank you, Rest. All right, now. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith, alongside producers LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, Pat St. Clair, engineers Kevin Rinker. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe. Org. Y'all were very busy today. If you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And no, we're not selling mugs on a website. Y'all stop emailing me doing the show. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.
from WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at WABE.org or wherever you find your podcasts.